With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 7 of The Adventures of a Bear and a Great Bear 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jessica Castro Rappel. The Adventures of a Bear and a Great Bear Too by Alfred Elwes. Downhill. Bruin, that great animal, was seated on a bank overhanging the river, which, being shallow at this spot, brawled loudly over its pebbly bed, some parts of which were dry. It was at such a distance from the city that all the noises common to its streets were united into one buzz or hum and the whole scene was well adapted to suggest meditations upon private matters or the affairs of the world in general. Yet Bruin did not seem influenced by any such reflections. If one might venture a guess from the appearance of his physiognomy, one would say that nothing in particular occupied his brains. True, his looks were black, his head was cast down, his eyes, as usual, were cunning and ferocious, but then they were always so and consequently presented no index of what was passing within. Suddenly, his features brightened, his face assumed an expression of interest, and he put his paw gently behind him to secure a stone, whilst his gaze was intently fixed on a dry spot of the bed below. Following the direction of his look, one might have perceived an uncommonly fat frog pulling with all his strength at the leg of another one whose body was hidden behind a heap of pebbles, and certainly the sight was one to amuse a wiser head than a bear's. The standing place of the paunchy little animal being very green and slippery, and the leg to which he so tightly clasped belonging to a fellow creature of no ordinary robustness, the struggle was diversified every few seconds by the fat fellow toppling onto his nose or back, or being dragged behind the heap, and then suddenly reappearing, still holding with passionless determination to that devoted leg, and tumbling about without uttering a syllable. It was when the greater part of his body was exposed to view, in a position more comical than dignified, so great were his exertions, that Bruin's stone, cast with unerring aim, descended upon the unfortunate frog, it hit him upon the softest and most projecting part of his back, and had the effect of raising him instantly into a perpendicular position. When looking round and observing the huge beast above about to repeat the application, he clapped his broad hand over the wounded place and limped hastily away. Nor could all the enticements of the bear, conveyed it is true in very unflattering language, 
induce him to expose his person to the chances of a second throw. Bruin's attention was shortly after aroused anew by observing a wretched old dog tottering under the weight of a large bundle strapped upon his back, which he was conveying to the city. He came within a few feet of the bear, whom he knew slightly, and casting down his load, which he seemed to have brought from a distance, wiped his face with his ragged tail. Bruin was the first to speak. Bruin, with a grunt, hard at work as usual, eh, Flip? Flip, yes, Master Bruin, these are hard times. No bone to pick without it, you know. Bruin, with a very emphatic grunt, that depends. Some have lots of bones and fine clothes and warm beds without doing anything harder for them than picking the one, putting on the other, and sleeping on the third. But never mind that. What have you got there in your bundle, old fellow? Flip. Why, songs, Master Bruin, and you, who are fond of music, might make mints of money by selling them if you'd only choose to do it. Bruin, pricking up his ears. Ah, Master Flip, and in what way? Flip. Why, here are all the new songs that have been sung for the last ten seasons by the Catterwallock Society at their new hall, and a lot more besides, printed in half a dozen columns three times as long as my tail, and all for a penny. Why, the very names of them are worth double the money. I'm going to take this package to old Powtree, the bookseller, and if you're in want of a job, I'll recommend you to him as one of the vendors. The proposal in Bruin's state of finance was not to be despised, for since his forced retirement from business, he had found his stomach and his pockets, by a very natural sympathy, suffering from precisely the same complaint, a degree of emptiness, namely, which there seemed no chance of finding a remedy for. But he had sundry doubts as to his capabilities for the new employment he was about seeking, particularly as he was aware his reputation was more notorious than favorable. To his surprise, however, though his person was well known to the individual paltry, not the slightest objection seemed to be made on the score of anything. The terms of his agreement, alas not remarkably liberal, were arranged. Bruin spent a couple of days in conning over his task, and forgetting to thank the poor dog who had procured him his situation, he once more entered the busy streets of Caneville to add his bass voice to the other cries of that populous city. His appearance, as he made his way into the center of the most active thoroughfare, holding in one paw his list of songs, longer than most of the inhabitants, whilst his other was thrust into his trousers' pocket, the impudent leer on his face as he surveyed his audience, and the careless set of his clothes, which, big as he was, seemed a size too capacious for him, immediately attracted a crowd. A butcher's dog, who had been ordered to make all speed to number 10 in the same street with a leg of mutton in his basket, stayed to gape and listen, although he was standing opposite number 9. A young pup from a neighboring alley ran out at the sound of his voice to learn the news. A spaniel with long curly hair and medicine basket on his arm could not resist the temptation of just stopping to hear though three servants of one of his master's patients were scouring the streets in search of him. Nor could an eminent vocalist of the feline tribe, La Signorina Pusetta Scracciolini, pass by without lending an ear to the wonderful list of melodies. There was another figure, too, who slackened her pace as she was passing the group, 
and by an irresistible impulse seemed compelled to draw near and listen. She was richly dressed in mantle and hood, which, thrown gracefully back, displayed a head and neck of aristocratic proportions. She seemed ill, however, and weak, for her delicate paws were resting on a stick as though such aid were requisite, whilst her short breathing seemed to hint that her sorrows were bringing her nearer to her doom. She must have been once possessed of considerable beauty, and even now there was enough remaining to distinguish the honorable Miss Greyhound. Thus surrounded, Bruin vociferated with all the power of his lungs. Oh, yeah, never were such times. Here you are, only look, double your own length of songs for one penny. Enough paper to make yourselves a coat to wrap yourselves in melody. Only one penny, five hundred of the choicest songs of the caterwallic and puppy and amalgamated harmonic societies, and upwards of five hundred more of the most popular ditties of Caneville, and all for one penny. And then he croaked forth the following doggerel, the most acceptable poetry, by the way, of the city, in which the titles of the songs were dragged in without any regard to order to make up a rhyme. Here's what's a clock, and, like a rock, he stood upon his dignity. With pups alive, and we are five, and dozens more, who'll buy, who'll buy? Here's puss was out, and piggy's snout was longer far than I can tell. With merry dogs and yellow frogs, in scores I am ready here to sell. Here's burning sighs, and ah, those eyes, and songs for kittens newly born. With stay, oh stay, and don't say nay, and some no worse for being worn. Here's love's an ass, and pass the glass, and jockey is the dog for me. Here's did you ever? No, I never, and I hope it yet may be, and all for one penny. And thus he went down the street, disposing of his wares with wonderful rapidity, and producing sundry forced accompaniments to his own wretched song, by treading on the toes of all the pups who were attracted by curiosity to his vicinity. A second and a third supply was exhausted before the canine and feline public of Caneville got tired of purchasing their own measure of song. Whether a fourth would have been successful, there was no chance of discovering, for old Poultry looked in vain for Bruin with the proceeds of the last lot. Day after day passed by, and still he was absent, until it was deemed necessary to have a search after him. For some time he eluded all inquiries, as he well knew his fate if his hiding place were discovered. For, having appropriated the money of his master to his own use, he was fully aware that his person would have to pay the penalty of his transgression. He skulked about the lowest purlieus of the city, among curs of the most degraded character, as dirty and negligent in body as they were debased in mind, until, in hourly fear of being betrayed, he felt that the worst certainty would be preferable to such a state of suspense and alarm, so resolved to deliver himself up and brave the worst. He was again cast into prison. For that he was prepared, but he was not prepared for the wretched place of confinement to which he was now condemned. On being first thrust into it, he could not behold all its horror. But when his eyes got accustomed to the semi-darkness, he found himself in a dismal cell underground, half full of water from the overflowing of the river, and teeming with numerous crawling, slimy things. 
a little hole half choked with earth and stones, let in all the place possessed of light and air. And as only the air which could ever visit the place had to pass over a bed of stagnant mud ere it reached the spot, it possessed but few refreshing properties. Bruin, who had in his despair given himself quietly up to the authorities, thinking probably that by the very act he might procure some mitigation of his sentence, now that he perceived his doom, gave way to one of those fearful bursts of rage which no experience had succeeded in teaching him to curb. He howled till the dirt sticking about the vaulted ceiling and the earth choking up the air hole dropped piecemeal to the ground, and every insect that had ears covered them up the best way it could to prevent its becoming instantaneously deafened by the horrid sound. Then, tearing round and round and round the confined space of his cell, till there seemed to him fifty windows instead of one, and the single door appeared suddenly placed in every part of the miserable vault, he struck his head against the rugged wall of his prison and toppled over senseless onto the ground. End of chapter 7